In my 10th grade literature class, my students analyzed the work of classic Greek philosophers in order to understand the foundation of Western thought and the principles of the English language. In the back left-hand corner of the class sits Kevin, a 15-year-old boy with academic apathy embroidered on his eyelids and a stardust disposition that can be seen all the way from the other side of this 1960s kaleidoscope of a hallway. Hello and welcome to Just Talk, Educational Equity, the podcast about social justice and how it relates to everything education. Today we're talking about teachers, specifically teachers of color, and how to recruit and retain them in schools. Dr. Basora Rodney, chair of the Department of Teacher Education of Webster University in St. Louis, is our guest today. I'm your host, Tony Neal. And I'm your co-host, Deborah Bowman. To lead off, we're listening to a spoken word performance by educator Clint Smith called Aristotle. He is a writer, an educator, and a doctoral candidate at Harvard University. Let's hear the rest. Keeps his head face down on his desk because with no father, he says he's never known a man in this world worth looking up to. But I try to engage him anyway. I try to connect this excerpt from a thousand-year-old text to the world he wakes up to every morning. And some days are more successful than others. But today... Kevin comes up to me after class and says, Mr. Smith, why do we even read this stuff anyway? So I tell him, Kevin Socrates was killed for political dissension. This world wants to see you killed by giving a suspension. His time was more similar to yours than you think. But now Athenian and Spartan militias manifest themselves in bandanas and brown skins. So I beg of you, don't become part of a war in which you were never meant to fight. Listen. Aristotle says we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. You better act like you have it, because the only difference between you and these Greek philosophers is the scraggly beard, the wrinkly skin, and that silly-looking robe. But your ideas are no less profound. Your insights, no less enlightening. Your values, no less important. There are brilliant words bubbling from the ballpoint tip of your pen if you would just take off the cap. But what do I know? I'm just a 25-year-old public school teacher who continuously questions everything he's ever known. We have skin of a common complexion, but a lifetime of experiences more dissimilar than the solar system. So who am I to come into this classroom and tell you what to do? A quarter lifetime worth of missteps has taught me that my savior complex is something I need to shed from my skin. So trust, I'm not trying to save you because I'm still trying to save myself. Honestly. How can I teach him to believe in Plato when gentrification is taught to me is nothing more than Plato, something to be moved and molded at will by those doing the sculpting so there's only one thing left to do. Become the sculptor and not the sculpted. Become the statistician and not the statistic. Kevin, I'm not perfect. I'm just a teacher trying to get you to understand all that you are already capable of doing so I have no choice but to make sure you understand how to dissect this text because nobody's pity is going to get you into college. We will work until concepts like the prison industrial complex and the achievement gap are archived into the library of America's imperfections. You will learn to read critically, write consciously, speak clearly because that is the only way this world will ever listen to what you have to say. So let's make this world see you in more than just Jordans and prisons, let's flip that and let them see you with college admissions. Show them you are more than just a jumble of brown faced quantitative data on charts and spreadsheets. Show them there is an Aristotle awaiting to be awakened in your chest. Show them there is a Plato pumping potential through your veins. Show them there is a Socrates ready to spring forth from your throat. Your Mount Olympus is standing right in front of your face. So now it's time to pick up your head and start climbing. 
The poet Clint Smith has a strong social media presence on Twitter and a website you can visit to check out his work. We will post a link on our page. In today's episode, we want to take a closer look at the need for more teachers from diverse backgrounds in schools. We have the Teacher Education Department Chair with us from Webster University, Dr. Brasier Rodney, to provide insights on how to recruit and retain greater diversity in our teaching staffs. But before we get into how to address this issue, let's define just what the problem is. The Learning Policy Institute published a 54-page report in 2018 that addresses this issue in depth. We will post a link to that report on our website. Just some of those highlights include statistics about who is at the front of the classroom, and 80% of teachers across the United States in public school classrooms are white. As the report states, while the population of teachers of color as a collective group is growing, black and Native American teachers are at a declining share of the teaching force. Black teachers make up more than 8% of teachers in 1987, but made up 6.7% in 2015. Similarly, the share of Native American teachers declined from 1.1% in 1987 to 0.4% in 2015. Meanwhile, the percentage of Latinx teachers increased from 2.9% of teachers in 1987 to 8.8% in 2015. The share of Asian American teachers increased from 0.9% to 2.3% over the same period. Meanwhile, student populations nationwide in public schools have growing numbers in multiple racial and ethnic identity groups. So um, I'm looking at a chart here from um, the U.S. government um, Department of Education And one of the things that they're showing is that in public schools, white students in 2004 made up 58% of our student populations in public schools. In 2014, white students made up 50% of the public school student population. And they're projecting that in the fall of 2026, white students will make up just 45% of our uh, public school student population. Um, Black student population looks to be pretty consistent at 17, 16, 15%. Hispanic population is going up dramatically from 19% in 2004 to about 25% currently and is going up to about 29% they project for the fall of 2026. So we can see if our numbers of white teachers remain at 80%, um, this disproportionate level between the teachers that students see in the front of the classroom and who's sitting in seats as learners uh, really is changing. Asian and Pacific Islander statistics are pretty consistent. The American Indian Alaska Native percentages are pretty consistent at about 1%, and the Asian Pacific Islander Islander goes four, five, six percent right around in there. Um, students that identify as two or more races, they're projecting, they're saying right now is at about three percent, maybe going up to four percent in 2026. So we can see teacher diversity is um, a necessity that we need to address. Right. So teacher diversity is not uh, keeping up with the growing student diversity, obviously. There are many reasons that disparity matters, according to the Learning uh, Policy Institute report that you just uh, mentioned. 
Students of color and white students report having positive perceptions of their teachers of color, including feeling cared for and academically challenged. Greater diversity of teachers may mitigate feelings of isolation, frustration, and fatigue that can contribute to individual teachers of color leaving the profession when they feel they are alone. Um, And the third thing that this report mentions is that teachers of color boost the academic performance of students of color, including improved reading and math test scores, improved graduation rates, and increases in aspirations to attend college. So we have measurable data that schools need more teachers of color. So for our conversation, rather than focus on what's wrong, let's take a look at what schools, teachers, and communities can do to address this issue. Yes, our guest today, Dr. Rodney, is the chair of the Department of Teacher Education at Webster University. He is working to attract and develop new teachers from underrepresented populations, and we have invited him here today to share his expertise with us. Dr. Rodney describes himself as a scholar, a seeker, and a student. Dr. Rodney, welcome to Just Talk. Thank you for having me. So um, before we're moving on to discuss solutions, Dr. Rodney, what else do we need to understand about this need for more teachers of color in our schools? Uh, well, I think the, the, one of the key things to remember as well is that in addition to the side that is recruitment, as in attracting uh, teachers of color, there's also the element of retention. Uh, because there have been a series of, of really consistent efforts over the last decade or so, lots of money put in by different foundations to attract teachers of color. Uh, but we have also seen it become a revolving door where we're losing a very large number of, of teachers of color every year. So I think recruitment is one side and then reten- retention is the other. And then the other thing I think we should we should all remember is that Teachers of color in the classroom is not just for, you know, black students. It's critical, of course, and we, we know the gains and the outcomes that, that we get from that. But it is also for, for white students and other students as well uh, to, to have a, a sense of what is really happening in our world and our society. I mean, a, the purpose of an education is to grow, right? So, so, so being able to, to see the other and be a part of the other is critical for all of our students. So what do you see are some of the barriers to recruiting? Uh, certainly we know that it's, it's necessary, but what might be some of the barriers to recruiting teachers of color into uh, education generally? So, so what we're finding uh, from our side in, in terms of teacher education is some of the easy barriers that we can kind of attack are, are some of these assessment systems that states have set up. Uh, and, and some of them, of course, are rational. But, you know, for a time, even here in Missouri, we had some really onerous requirements that kind of became barriers to entry for young people becoming teachers uh, and teachers of color in particular, because we know that some of these assessments are, are biased in their construction. Uh, and then some of them are kind of invented overnight without without any real without any real real yeah. real study and and so eventually like and again some of the good things happening in Missouri with regards to that is we're rolling some of that back um, I'm glad to hear that uh, trying to reduce what are what, what we know are, are barriers right uh, so that's that's one side of it and then of course the other side of it is be, be, become getting an education in the United States, a higher education in the United States is expensive. Um, and, and teaching is no different. And there's that part of the teaching experience, the practical experience and the apprentice teaching or clinical experiences that often involve people going into the field and learning but not being paid. Um, so, so, th- so students sometimes give up up to a year 
right? Um, mm-hmm. Not being paid is a part of the educational experience, yes, but that means it may mean more loans, it may mean more requirements for scholarships, those kinds of things. All right, so, so building a good platform to attract people to teaching matters. So are there incentives that are put in place? I mean, I hear you say the students uh, incur more loans, and certainly uh, that's a concern. But also, if there are incentives, yes, uh, yes. you know, to go into education, to go into teaching. Yeah, some of those are help. emerging. Yeah, some of those are emerging um, now, uh, not as fast as I think they should. And and if you listen to to our our, our political campaign, you kind of hear hear some of the the candidates, especially on the Democratic side, kind of pandering to teachers, right? Um, and and talking about increasing teacher pay in order to again attract and retain those kinds of things. Um, so I, so I th- see those as kind of long term, but some of the short term things that are happening is you know in some of our states, like in in South Carolina, they're building a teacher recruitment. Um, a, a kind of future Teachers of America, teacher cadet pipeline, where you could start your teaching program kind of while you're in high school, um, doing a kind of a, a, a kind of pre-collegiate experience and starting to learn the, the, the craft, the science of teaching, and then maybe take even dual credit courses. Mm-hmm. So we do have some of those things that are going on now where you're doing a dual credit course with Webster University or with uh, one of our competitors while you're in high school. That credit will, will transfer when you come into the program, it kind of gets your your feet wet. Um, some of our local high schools even have um, uh, programs that students can practice teaching, right? And that may be um, early learning programs that they've built with the 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 engagement of you know seniors and juniors, teaching them how to work in early childhood learning environments, those kinds of things, and and make them kind of feel like they're 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 having some engagement, some purpose with that. So there there are different kinds of Efforts that are in pockets, uh, I, I would I would argue that we, we we should want to see more of those in a more broader systematic way, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, what are are there certain settings where it's more difficult for um, teachers with uh, more diverse identities to be recruited? Where they are there certain places where teachers are going to say, "Yeah, I just don't want to go there," or where they feel particularly drawn? Well, well, you're going to have. One location, of course, matters in teaching. And when we look at the research, we see a lot of that. And many of these spaces that are becoming really diverse, we're really talking about urban communities, right? Primarily, we're talking about places like Boston, Chicago, New York, you know, St. Louis. This is where you see immigrant populations coming, and, and, and that's a swift turn. But African-American populations, for example, have been there for a long time. So those environments are, are particularly difficult for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we understand the challenges of of, of learners in those environments. Some of it is the the structural issues that have, you know, created inequity in schools, right? Uh, and 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 that's that's on the one side, but it also challenges the working conditions under which a teacher might teach. So when you look at some of the reasons why we're not retaining teachers of color, is you know, a black guy shows up in a classroom and he's a teacher, and every discipline issue drops at his door. So at some point, he's right. like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to discipline. I, I want to teach English. I want to teach history. I want to teach physics or whatever it is. But every time, you know, student X misbehaves or something is happening in class down the block, they come for me. Um, so that kind of creates that weird kind of stereotype where sometimes young black males are like, oh, we, we, we don't want to do this long term. That's not why we came here. Of course, there's also some of the, the, the challenges we face, not only in urban environments, but in some suburban environments, too, where black students are tracked 
all right, are, are disproportionately placed in certain programs, for example, special education and other things like that. And then, you know, people of color coming to that environment don't want to prop up that system, right? right? right. So, right. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, after absolutely. a while, you, yeah. you become demoralized. You're like, well, that's, I'm not here mm-hmm. to, right. to stop and frisk, you know, our kids in the hallway kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, so that, those create challenges, right? And, and some of that is urban, some of that is suburban too. Some of the literature coming out is saying that, that happens in lots of environments and those kinds of things push, push uh, black teachers away. Subject matter also, of course, is challenging because we know that it is often the case that many uh, of our of our people of color are not studying in the STEM fields. Mm. And when we right. attract them to the STEM fields, right, uh, they they figure, well, why teach? You know, I I could go right. work in research, I could go work in nursing, work or go to medicine, or I can mm. I can go get more pay in other fields. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so of course one of the, the 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 things that we we have to see as more attractive for teaching again, long-term, is, is finding ways to increase teacher salaries. How does this break down around um, sex? I see more females that stay in the classroom and more of your males are going into administration. <laughs> well, well, I laugh about that because there's an, uh, there's an actual article that I teach with called, called, called uh, Why Women Teach and Men Manage. Huh. Um, and there's a there's a historical there's a historical there are a series of historical reasons for that in the United States, right? Um, okay. Why why teaching classroom teaching has kind of revolved around uh, particularly white women, um, and then the management ranks um, kind of has been disproportionately bloated with men, right? And particularly white men. So so yeah, those are those are kind of longstanding issues too. But we we also know that again, if you if you're Attracting teachers of color is one side, but you know teachers have to be developing too. So they have to recognize that they're leaders in their schools. They're going up the pay scale, and and they don't. And we all again structurally, we've we we know as black people we've had to fight for these things, and and so people put in that situation, right, will either recoil and say, look, I'll just do just enough, keep my job, because it's just too much to kind of struggle to get up the chain. Right, and we know how people get tapped to go up a chain. Right, sometimes somebody else sees them and says, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I, I, I think that person should be promoted. What do we need to do to position them to teach certain classes, mm-hmm. for example? Right, and what do we need to do to position them to promote them up the scale? And and that kind of happens organically, based upon what we have in our head as mm-hmm. what the principal looks like or what the AP looks like, mm-hmm. and it often does not look like in people's minds. It doesn't look like people of color. So that kind of you know those kind of inherent biases in the system also have to to kind of be to be pushed out right people have to create new images of who who mm. teachers are and what they look like mm. wow so we have to we have to check out that article i know uh, yeah it's, 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 <laughs> we'll we'll put a link on our website if we can get it from you if there's if we can get that yeah yeah online. i'll see what yeah. i find yeah, it. yeah. That seems like but a yeah, very interesting uh, topic uh, yeah and uh Something for a future podcast episode. <laughs> so what has been your um, experiences as a black man in education that inform your perspective? Uh, so I, I think there are a couple of things that have been interesting. So if, you, if you're hearing an accent, I, I come from Jamaica. So I, I came to the United States through Florida and then um, to here. I, I taught in Florida in different contexts. I actually started teaching in Jamaica when I was like 16. Um, because in, in, in our school at the time, we had shortages of different kinds of teachers, and I was an upper school student studying history and religion, 
I had passed the exams and they inducted me into kind of a teacher core, which is why I'm sensitive to the idea of a teacher core, right? That that teaching is something I never saw myself as a teacher. I went to college not thinking I would ever teach um, because, you know, teaching doesn't pay and who wants to do that, right? But it kind of pulled me in after a while because I'd started it so, so young. So I believe in that induction experience because I know what, how it has kind of affected and impacted my own life. Um, and, and so, for example, at Webster, we, 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 we work really hard to build experiences where our students are in the classroom, in the classroom early. You know, so we have like, you know, literacy tutoring. And if you show up and you're like, oh, well, I want to study teaching, like, okay, here are your classes that you're going to take. But, you know, have you ever thought of just being a tutor? We have a one-credit class. We kind of show you the ropes about how you could tutor a young young person, you know, kid, sometimes elementary class. Um, and then we, we put you out there, and, and you and we pay you, you know, federal works study That's dollars, like, our yeah. grant dollars. Mm-hmm. So our, our thing is get people in the classroom early so that they start to develop the skill sets and that sense of passion because we, we know that what keeps people teaching, regardless of all of the challenges we face, is is passion for the for the for the, the profession. Exactly. So if we can start that early, if we can get you to kind of feel passionate to see success, right? At one on one, when you teach uh, a, a child how to, to to read a sentence for the first time, kind of, and that light goes off, that's endearing. Mm-hmm. So so we try to kind of get people in early, and that comes out of my own experience of of, of facing that, you know, myself. That doesn't necessarily run individuals away from teaching. And I asked the question (laughs) because um, there's one gentleman that I kind of mentored, and he is now in New Jersey, finished his master's from Rutgers. He went through Brandeis, did his undergrad there. And he's first year in the classroom. And he sent me an email the other day. He said, Mr. Neal, this is a different kind of mental tiredness, and I don't know if I can stay here forever, you know. Yeah. And I'm just and and he's in a pretty challenging. He's in New Jersey and he's in a pretty challenging school system, you know. Yeah. So, and I'm thinking all that schooling and you know your experience and then now after one year you're like, I well, that's one of the this. reasons why we do it early. Right. That's uh, that's also one of the other <laughs> yeah. reasons, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't have to wait until your student teaching your no. intern and <laughs> teaching experience. When I did my student teaching back in and um. I had a partner. I did my student teaching in Detroit, and uh, my partner there, who was also from my university, said, um, well, I was falling in love with teaching, and he said to me, I would really enjoy this if it weren't for the students. He said this with a straight face, and I have repeated this line over and over again when I'm having a really bad day. I'm like, you know, at least I'm not saying (laughs) this would be really great if it weren't for the students. I told him even then, I said, you should think about doing Doing something something else. else. (laughs) This isn't right for you. Well, I mean, I could say I, I actually I was a high school principal for eleven years, and so I actually loved that experience of being a principal. But again, I was not necessarily in the classroom, although I would go into the classroom and, and deliver, you know, some of the lessons and things. But in the back of my mind, I knew that I could also come out of the classroom, you know, <laughs> right. and right. go back to my office. Right? You know? Yeah, so, that makes but, a difference. Yeah. It yeah. Does. It does. So I taught a class um, called Students as Teachers, and that was exactly what we did. Is we had you know students matched up with elementary school classrooms, and they'd go back and forth. And this was, you know, a long time ago. And a number of those students, you know, went on to uh, careers in education. And in fact, I just had a really sweet experience where this past year, my five-year-old granddaughter um, was in a preschool class that was taught by one of those students. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a wonderful young man. And it was so much fun for us to 
nice. connect in that yes, way. That is awesome. I, I say this to my students often. I say I think about um, the fact when I when I work with you and I try to help you to develop your skills as a teacher, I think about who you will be teaching my own children. Yes. Right? Because mm. it's it's really important for me to see you in that role. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and I think that's why things like equity ma- matter, right? right? Because yes. my kids are black kids and mm-hmm. lots of my teachers, my students are white students. Mm-hmm. So my thing is you have to understand how to work with children from families like mine that are right. different from yours, but that's okay. You, yeah. you just develop that skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we look at an educational community that is um, hiring, what kind of principles are going to guide them if they're going to be applying a healthy, inclusive approach to hiring? So I think the, the first thing to, to say, it has to be intentional, mm. right? So, you know, I've, I'm watching some of our school districts around here uh, in, in the St. Louis uh, area, and you, you know the ones that are intentionally looking for people of color. And they say that. They say, look, we, we, we would like to attract and retain more black teachers. That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes at great risk to, to their reputations or otherwise, because we yeah. understand where we live, but, but that to me is the first thing, right? So you, 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 you're, if, if, when I'm advising my students who are going out looking for jobs, I say, look, number one, you want to look for somewhere where they're intentionally looking for you. Because that means that they're also creating a space where you can have the kinds of conversations with your students that mm-hmm. that that you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to have, right? Um, and 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 they're not afraid of that. They're courageous enough to to allow mm-hmm. the teacher to kind of be authentic and be autonomous in their work. So, number one, I think intention matters, and I think looking at the world work culture. So one of the things that that, that schools still do is, you know, they'll bring a teacher, bring a, a new teacher in, and say, "Well, teach with a group of students." Right. So, you know, number one, thinking about, well, who did they bring for me to teach matters? Right. <laughs> right. right. right? Yes. And, then, and then how how do how do these students how are these students reacting? Right. Because that speaks to the culture that the students are used to. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if a student has never seen a black teacher, or a teacher of color, a student who's who has a certain sense of values knows how to treat a guest mm-hmm. at that point in time. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think looking at that, at, at those things um, are, are critical. And, and you kind of see it, you're, you're, you're seeing it emerge in our environment, but those things matter. I think intention is key. You know, I, you know, I don't know if you're um, aware of the group that's recently started of black men in education. And so it's a support group that meets monthly. And uh, so I attend a number of those meetings just uh, supporting some of the brothers that I know that's in education. And what I hear a lot is that they don't feel supported and that they come across as being uh, angry and, you know, aggressive as opposed to assertive, you know, and things of that nature. And so many of them were talking about, well, maybe this isn't the, the space for me or, you know, where should I go? And so that's why the group was really created because a number of them came together to say, hey, we've got to do something because we all are being stressed and, mm-hmm. you know, it's affecting our families and it's affecting how, you know, we walk in the world. And so... You know, the, and it's up in the air. No, we don't have the answer for it. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. I think that's a, a great start, yeah. right? Because I think having having a place where you can have the kind of conversations and know that, look, I'm not I'm not crazy, right? It it, mm-hmm. it does happen this way, right? And to kind of be able to support each other through the experience matters. I think the the other side of that is to to truthfully remember the students. You know, um, 
we, we talk about the 80% of our teachers that are white and the, the, the what is now approaching 50% of our students who are of color, right? Um, those, those students need to see, right, regardless of the challenge that we face, they need to see and experience teachers who are like them. They need to see it, right, because it makes a radical difference. I mean, we, we can all share stories of, of our teachers, you know, yeah, yeah. and that one teacher that, that held our feet to the fire out of caring and yeah. was there to hear us when we needed to cry and was there to be with us when we got frustrated and out, just out of, out of care. Right, and I think that's really, really important. So, so I think a, a, an individual kind of a group support group matters. You know, having a space where you can have these conversations to stay in the profession matter. And we need to do more, of course, from the professional standpoint, whether it's the school districts or universities. One of the things the state had asked us to do years ago, and some schools do it better than others, but to just have like an annual conversation or a monthly or biweekly conversation with our graduates, right? A periodical conversation conversation with our graduates how are you doing in the field how are because retention is not just about again people of color right, right. we've been teaching people losing leaving the teaching right. profession in in, yeah, in the united yeah. states for a long time so so we, we're all conscious of it right um and we, we, i'm happy we're hyper focused on on our particular group but but that means that we have to have spaces where the conversations can be had and people can feel empowered to to remain so um, what about white teachers and administrators and what, what do we need to be doing? I'm asking as a white woman, what is it that we need to be doing to make spaces welcoming and supportive for our colleagues of color? Uh, well, I think, and we, we kind of talk about this in, in our equity literature, you know, just, just being good allies, right? Recognizing that, that your position is not threatened because, you know, the students might like teacher X or teacher Y, right? right. You're not losing anything. It's just a part of the tapestry that is the, the, the student's experience in a society and a world that's becoming increasingly diverse, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes people feel threatened and, and they, you know, they, 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 they shut down and, and they start to, 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 to succumb to the pressure. Teaching is high pressure, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the, the beginnings and the ends of the year. And, and it's often the case that those pressures create uh, some kind of tension in the working environment. So I would say just just maintain that sense of of being authentic allies. And I use the word authentic because sometimes people say we're allies and and, and not recognize that there's there has to be some authenticity there. Mm-hmm. Um, and allowing you know teachers of color to have a voice, to have a space, to to be respected. And then look at some of the structures that are longstanding in in schools. You know the schedule, who makes it. Who do they prioritize, mm-hmm. right? How do we prioritize the schedule? Because these things are fine. Are, they're, 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 actual, they're actual evidence of how we move privilege around on a table, right? Yes. So yes. who gets all the, the freshman mm-hmm. classes if, you know, if you're talking at a secondary level? You know, who gets all, all the, 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 the sixth graders you know, in, in the elementary school? And, 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 and who's, who's getting the students that, that, that are the bright ones, mm-hmm. right? And, and do, we, do they all kind of just pocket? with the two or three teachers who have been here forever and feel like it's their right to get yes. that. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> or, yeah, that's or in a community where parents feel as if they're entitled to get that teacher. teacher. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. who maybe don't recognize the that the difference that they can experience with someone who has a different background and identity and perspective in the world, how much their student might grow from experiencing that. Absolutely. 
absolutely doesn't fit into their kind of narrow mold of the white way to teach. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think that's critical too, right? Because sometimes, especially now, what you'll find is, it, you know, we have all this this thing we talk about innovation and we're talking about maker spaces and mm-hmm. STEM and STEAM teaching right. and, you know, teachers coming, whether it's a new teacher coming into a school, um, a teacher of color or otherwise, but they're coming with with new novel approaches and they want to try new things and, and they'll run up against this this construct, you know, that, oh, no, we, we don't do it like that here, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. At, at, at the university, right. we say, at the university, right. we say, it's not the Webster way, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, so uh, so, it's, so, it's, so, it's, so it's maybe maybe that way needs to be revisited because right. we have we who have some created new, that way yeah, yeah exactly right maybe we can look at that and, and, and allow some of these these constructs to be contested yes right and then and then open up the space because that's a part of what the students are feeling too yeah right, right. um mm-hmm. yeah I I happen also to be married to a teacher because you so you talk about like you know things in my life that I have to also be married to a, to a K-12 teacher. And we've had so many conversations this year about about just how her particular students of color just, just kind of gravitated towards her room over the last year, right? Because she was one of the first black teachers to be hired in this particular school. And they just, they just, they just came out and started mm-hmm. to visit and spend time and created this, Sorry. this safe space for themselves. Right. Um, and, and I thought, man, what, 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 what might they have been experiencing all of that time that you weren't there, right? And how overloading that can be mm-hmm. for if you're the only teacher mm-hmm. in the classroom, you yes. know. I mean, you want to be there, but, I mean, you can have you to be think the, about yes. you know, mm-hmm. yourself and your yes. family. And, yep. right. and your own yeah. responsibilities. Yeah. Right, yes. right. And you're giving up every single yes. lunch period every day yes. with students who Absolutely. have that need. Absolutely. And, so how yeah. do white teachers create that same kind of culture? Right, so I think a part of that is is that right because mm-hmm. so 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 it ought not to always take <laughs> right, right, right. A, a, a black teacher or a teacher of color to create a safe space right correct students should should feel like well yeah I can I can I can go over there and talk to this other teacher too and right yeah. it, and and I get it I I know how especially in our environments that just kind of happens naturally in a very different way um, that you see your own and kind of connect with your own but but also I think white teachers can work a, a little harder mm. to kind of deconstruct some of the things that allow kids to to f- grow and flourish. Mm-hmm. What type of instruction or teachers getting, I guess specifically um, at your university, around cultural proficiency? And I ask the question because I, I have an opportunity to train across the United States, and I often hear teachers say, we've never had one class in cultural proficiency or you know, nothing has, so our training is like, you know, mm-hmm. eye-opening. It's mm-hmm. like their first entry into even thinking about cultural proficiency and what that really is and, and students who are different, you know, so. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Webster. But, you know, in, in Florida where, where I came from, this has been years now. I've been in Missouri 12 years. But in Florida we had courses um, in the teacher ed program, and there might have been like three or four of them that were distinctly built around, you know, there was one called Teaching the African-American Learner. Mm. And then there was Multicultural Ed, and I taught Multicultural Ed there as well. And then we had other, you know, kind of targeted courses as a part of just the mix of teacher education. When I when I came to, to the St. Louis area, I, I found that even though we had courses, they weren't constructed in the same kind of way. Mm. Um, and I think that, that a part of that was is probably just our, our, our state structure and how it builds certification requirements here. Um, so, so I would say that I, I always believe that that more needs to be done. Mm-hmm. All right, here I, I really always believe that. I, I, I never think we're doing enough um, because, uh, and I, when I look at, for example, the St. Louis region, 
until we reinvent the region itself in a more equitable way, we have not done what we've needed to do in schools and classrooms. Other places too, but schools and classrooms, I think, are an important part of that mix, mm-hmm. right? Because schooling is so critical. So, so at, at Webster, we we actually have a course called Teaching a Diverse Society that that we that I teach and I co-teach with a couple of other professors. Our approach always is to, I, I love co-teaching mm-hmm. because I think multiple voices in on issues like these is always better. Um, so I, we teach that, that course in an actual school. Um, and so we, we, we take it off of campus, we go to a school, and a part of what we want our students to experience is the life and the energy inside of that school. Um, and, and so we, we build around making the experience authentic. Our foundations courses are the same, and a lot of courses in, in Missouri are built around these early practicum experiences, again, mm-hmm. in schools, right? right? So we, we take our students off campus, again, our typically um, young white female teachers, and we put them in schools oh, around the city if we can you know, get as big a dispersion as we can. And the idea is that we, we're going to teach you, yeah, and we're going to talk about foundations and we're going to talk about equity and we're going to talk about justice. But until you go out there and experience some of these things for yourself, you, you won't have context. You just have words. And so being in those schools and classrooms matter. So we can have those kinds of conversations there. Um, and in our, in our course particularly, we, we, we really work heavily, try to work heavily through these issues of, you know, we, we, we build around a philosophy and, and we argue that a teacher's philosophy is key to her success in a school or a classroom, and you must write one. And our philosophy document is like I don't know, 15, 20 pages. Mm. But we ask questions about privilege. We ask mm-hmm. questions about bias. We ask questions about, you know, who are you as a person? What brought you to teaching? And what, what in those experiences um, would, would challenge someone from mm-hmm. another culture? Right, and it would challenge you trying to mm-hmm. deal with someone from another culture. We kind of try to get students to kind of dig into that and explore that um, in meaningful ways. Hmm. Wow, <laughs> I'm intrigued. Yeah, yeah, I really am too. Um, so I'm thinking, um, you know, what what do you think are the essential messages that um, our listeners need to hear about this? What you know, if, if we're going to boil it down to a kernel, what is it that you want people to really come away from this uh, episode with? So I, I, I'd say, and I'm assuming that most most of our listeners right now are in our, in our St. Louis area, so I keep saying that a lot. But I, I think, A, one of our keys is to remember that when we are working to dismantle structures of injustice, we, we all have to be open to that process. Right, mm-hmm. we all have to be open to it, and I know it's it's challenging for some people who might have been privileged by these processes, right, to suddenly have to deal with the reality that that maybe somebody else can be included too. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that's general, but but I think that has to be said first, right, um, because we often see around our, in our community, you know, if if a school district suddenly becomes unaccredited for whatever reason, and you know, families want to move and move their their kids because they're seeking the same quality education that that we we deserve and have earned the right to, you know, the other neighborhood goes crazy. You're like, well, mm-hmm. are they coming here? Well, they're yes. coming for an education and they have yes. the right we, to an we've education. We've experienced that. Right, yeah. and they have the right to pursue yes. that education. Yeah. So my thing is, when, when we see attempts at dismantling these kinds of structures, don't react and recoil in fear. Mm-hmm. Right. I think more than anything else, allow allow spaces to become open. You know, school districts as they try to diversify the teaching core, you know, they bring in teachers and communities start to go crazy. 
right? Mm-hmm. They start holding right. meetings and start mm-hmm. right. these little groups in the right. corner. And so my thing is the first thing is don't don't succumb to fear. Um, the other thing I don't want people to forget. I really mm-hmm. don't want us in our region to forget the not just the events of of Ferguson and and the challenges you know related to that, and, but the outcomes, the equity outcomes that we 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 were charged with, we've been charged we we've charged ourselves with yes. around education. I think are keys. So things like early childhood education mm-hmm. um, are, are very critical to us, and I and I I understand where we stand in the United States when we talk about early childhood education. We kind of leave it to families and parents, but it needs more. Right? We we need to have more articulated efforts to raise the level of early education. We know that the more early education a child gets, the more years of higher education we buy. Yes, mm-hmm. and and so since we know that then we really need to not forget that early education is something that communities should advocate for and strengthen. I really appreciate your approach that these are, um, you know, you're not just looking at slapping the Band-Aid over the wound, but that we have to, you know, remove those things that are causing the hurts in our community, that are causing the equity problems in our community. And those are big questions, and they're going to have to have systemic solutions. And um, if a school district thinks they're going to fix an equity problem by hiring a couple of black teachers, there's a whole lot more work that needs to be done. And you do have those districts that want to check the box. Yes, you do. Yes. You do. And we would encourage everybody to uh, think deeply about um, who you are and what do we need to offer every one of our students. So, Dr. Rodney, are there any resources that you would like to leave with us, names of um, books or articles that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, or any conferences coming up that we might want to tune into? Well, there are a couple of things. You, you, you kind of like that, that, that older article on why, why <laughs> men teach a woman, why yes. women teach a men manage. I think mm. that's a, that's a kind of good classic to start with as to why that is. Um, but recently I was, we were doing this book study, a, a book called uh, The Best Intentions. Um, and it was looking at um, these racial equity issues in suburban schools. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I think it's a, it's a good read for people to look at this, not just because we tend to, again, do the, the binary, you know, it, this is an urban problem. Or, right. mm-hmm. So, so I, like to, I, I like to push that book because I think it opens up the conversa- conversation. Um, the, the Best Intentions book is good. And then people know about uh, uh, Chris Emden's work. Um, and, and the work that they've been doing around um, hip hop pedagogy, but also mm-hmm. about yeah. about you know increasing the the voice and space of teachers of color in the classroom. Mm. So I think those are the kind of things that come to mind. We're we're a, we're a cool area for some of this work because there are lots of different groups that are focused on equity in education. Um, and I and I think there's one conference coming up, but I I don't have all the details. But there's a okay. there there are a couple of equity in education. Things that happen uh, at Webster, we do have an equity and education conference that we're planning for the fall. Uh, date isn't set yet, but but we've been doing it now for four years, and this year we're, we we kind of shifted a little bit to the fall. Um, so that conference is particularly focused on education and equity, and then of course in the spring the the, the president has the the diversity conference at Webster, which is also 
Yeah, I believe that it was one of our associates that gave the keynote last year, Billy, Dr. Billy Mayo. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good, good, excellent. We also want to remind listeners of the Learning Policy Institute report that we cited earlier. And um, not only does it have a lot of statistics, but it also has lots of suggestions on how to recruit and retain a more diverse teaching staff. So it, it for example, it was talking about the uh, program in South Carolina that you mentioned and things all over the country that people are doing. So, Dr. Rodney, we would like to thank you for your great insights and for the resources that you have provided for us. And we hope that we can have you back at some point. Absolutely. Uh, thank, thank, you thank you for having me. Thank you very much for being here. This has been Tony Neal, your host. And Deborah Bowman, today's co-host and podcast producer and director. Bringing you Just Talk Educational Equity. Listeners, we appreciate that you joined us for this episode on recruiting and retaining teachers of diverse identities. And we invite you to share your comments, questions, and suggestions at our website at eec4justice.com and leave us an email there on our contact page. Also, and we'd appreciate this, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please find us on iTunes and leave us a rating. You can help people find us that way, and we appreciate your support. Just Talk has been brought to you by Educational Equity Consultants, a company that provides training to build capacity of individuals, schools, and other organizations to address racism in ways that enable all people to reclaim their inherent intelligence and nobility. Recording, editing, music, and logo provided by Alvin Zamudio. So if you're a teacher or school leader, a student, a parent, or a community member concerned about social justice, please remember, Just Just Talk. Talk.